In Jeremiah 12, 5, God challenges Jeremiah, If you have run with men and they have tired you out, how will you compete with horses? God offers you a similar challenge to live a life of biblical discipleship and to build a healthy marriage and a godly family. He never promises it will be easy, but it will always be worth it. Are you ready to run with horses? Hello, this is Norman, and welcome to Run With Horses. How are you doing today? Hope you're having a great day and you're uh, rejoicing as you go through and honor God with all of your decisions today. Well, today's question for you that I want us to think about is how strong are you? Have you ever been asked that before? I know when I was younger and went to the gym and played sports and all those things, people would uh, look at the bench press or curls or something like that and have little competitions to see who was the strongest. And it was really important in high school and in sports, different competitions, how strong are you? How much muscle do you have? And really, that never goes away, it seems like, in the world and the society at large, at least in American culture. The world is really concerned about at least appearing strong, if not actually being strong. And a lot of advertising is based around trying to convince you that you both can and should be stronger. And that's not just physically, although physically is a lot of it. Think of how many people sign up for gym memberships every year and go three or four times and then quit. Not just physically, but also emotionally and mentally. You're challenged to get stronger day by day. And along the way, hey, here's a product that will help you achieve all that strength in record time with no effort on your part. Available today for the special low price of $19.99. Get it while it lasts. There are things like that uh, all the time. Uh, infomercials, uh, billboards. So many things in life seem to be based around encouraging you or challenging you to be stronger. Even pop culture, when you think about uh, how many mo- movies, music, um, books, they have heroes who are lifted up as being uh, sometimes invincible. And I think that's that's changed a lot maybe more recently. But in the old days, you think of Superman. Well, he was he was the Superman. He was not capable of being truly defeated. And all our heroes have been really like that. We see these hero heroes who are faced with just incredible, impossible odds, and they win in spite of everything that the enemy has to throw against them. You know, some of our favorite movies are the ones where the character goes through this amazing transformation where they are in the beginning, maybe physically, mentally, not where they should be or could be or where the, the audience wants them to be. And they apply this effort and go through this amazing transformation so that they can see succeed in the battle that they face. And right off the bat, to me, Rocky comes to mind as the model for so many uh, hero movies to follow. And particularly, the thing that I always enjoyed about the Rocky movies was the training scenes. You know, you you have the hero and he's faced with a challenge that just seems insurmountable. I mean, like he's never going to get uh, past this. I think of, I forget which one it was, but the one where he went to Russia and was training in the cold. And he has this giant that he's going to be facing. He's already uh, put his friend in the hospital. And everyone tells him you shouldn't. You shouldn't fight this guy at all. And you definitely shouldn't go to his home turf and fight him. And you go and he's he's in this uh 
cabin in, with a barn out in the wilderness, really, just in the middle of this snowy landscape to train. And he try, he trains. And you see this transformation as he dedicates himself to this cause, just fully focused. And that's the thing that all the Rocky movies really are known for, this, this training scene where the hero really dedicates himself to becoming that next level of fitness, next level of mental toughness, uh, preparing to be the fighter that he can be. So those scenes are motivational and they kind of encourage us maybe in a personal walk to apply a little more effort, and that's never bad. But I'm not sure that it's always helpful to take that model and apply it to everything in life. Particularly, I guess it's not surprising that many of us take that same model where the hero applies this intense effort and goes to this personal transformation and wins in the end. We take that model and try to apply it to our spiritual life. You know, if I'm struggling, I just need to try harder. It must be because I haven't put in the hours yet. I need more time in the spiritual gym to build those spiritual muscles so I can defeat the sin in my life. And I think it's easy for us to follow that line of thinking when you're surrounded by this worldly view that it is personal effort. Now, you can apply the time and the effort and change, and it's just mental discipline and all these things. And that really is held up in certain circles. Is That's the epitome. is just personal self-discipline. Uh, and it, it can be uh, life-changing in many respects, in many ways. But spiritually, I'm just not sure that that's the right way to go. It, it isn't anywhere close to what God has to say about our spiritual problems. And I know if you listen to me very often, you may say, well, this is a little bit contradictory to what I often say, because I'm always telling you how you need to put in more uh, effort in reading God's Word and really apply effort to pursue godliness and Christ-likeness. And I think the Bible does give that message. It is true that we need to give effort into our spiritual life, but I think the focus is a little different. It's one of the things that makes the spiritual life both interesting and challenging. There's this tension between there is nothing that you can do, particularly in certain problems. When you think about the sin problem, there's nothing you can do. That is not something that you can apply any amount of effort, willpower, self-discipline, and you can't win that battle. That is a battle that absolutely is God's and God's alone. But at the same time, there are places where Paul tells Timothy, and I think that's the perfect model for this discipleship, uh, disciple-making relationship, where the mentor tells the mentee, you need to apply effort to the right things. Apply effort to godliness, to righteousness. And part of it is recognizing that all of us are going to give effort to something. Now, some people give maximum effort to being lazy and doing as little as possible, but that's not helpful. You're going to give some effort to something. Give effort to the right thing. And the place that's worth the effort is spiritual growth, is righteousness, is godliness. But you don't really grow yourself. You allow God to grow you. You, you don't defend, defeat sin on your own no matter what you do. God has already won that battle for you. True spiritual strength, as God defines it, is really recognizing who He is, recognizing our weakness, recognizing our inability to succeed on our own. And any efforts that we put in should flow out of this knowledge that we desperately need God to work in us. So when I say you, you really do need to spend time in God's Word, and I absolutely stand by that, 
But I don't read my Bible to gain spiritual insights that will make me super spiritual and able to handle sin on my own and able to resist temptation in my own strength. I think it's important that we dive into God's Word to see more of the God who chose us and who loves us in spite of our weakness. You look at God's Word to see God. Yes, there are benefits. I think you do gain uh, spiritual insight and wisdom, and there's knowledge to be gained as we study God's Word. But the primary purpose of focusing on God's Word is to see God, to know Him more, to have that relationship with Jesus solidified. And we recognize in that relationship all that He has accomplished on our behalf. So God takes this whole idea of strength and weakness and turns it on its head. He tells us over and over again that He chooses the weak and opposes the strong. Go back and think about the first kings of Israel as first God chose Saul and God chose Saul, I really think, to show this is what kind of king that man wants. He was head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, He was this perfect human as you look at him, but his heart wasn't right. He really wasn't focused on God. So then when God chose David, he said very clearly, God looks at the heart. God doesn't look on man as man looks on man. God has a different priority. And a lot of things that that we see as weakness, God sees as an ability, as a place where he can allow his strength to shine. So Paul gives us a good picture of this attitude as well. How do we view strength? How do we view weakness? How do we view uh, our life in light of who God is, in light of what God's doing, in light of everything. Well, Paul recognizes that weakness is actually not a, a hindrance. It's not a bad thing. Weakness weakness can be a, a gift from God. And in Paul's case, he talks about this thorn in the flesh. And the thorn in the flesh was meant to help him maintain a proper perspective of life in Christ. I think all of us need to recognize there's a place for strength. There's a place where you do need to apply some effort to be stronger. I think when we look at our our human frailty, our human life, I absolutely am an advocate for eating right, exercise, and being physically and mentally strong for study. I think all those things are good, but it's not because it removes our weakness. It's not because it, it will give us the ability then to succeed on our own. I really understand those things to be an, an outflow of the idea of stewardship. God has blessed you with a certain level of physical health. You didn't get to choose that. You do have some influence over it as a steward. God has given you a certain amount of potential. And, you know, no matter how much I I try, no matter how much I run, I'm not going to be as fast as Hussein Bolt. You know, I'm not going to be uh, super speedy. I'm not going to be as strong as you know, a a bodybuilder, a weightlifter. Uh, There's all those things that are are limits that I have. I'm never going to reach those. I'm, I'm a steward of what I do have. I have a certain level of health. And as I eat right, as I exercise, as I apply myself to recognize that God has gifted me and my health is just one thing, I want to be a good steward of what he's given me. And, you know, there are people that I know that have spent their whole life in, say, a wheelchair or spent their whole life blind. In many cases, we'd say, well, that they're handicapped. Well, God has given them a certain level of health and fitness. 
And they're a steward of what they have, not of what they don't have. So if you have physical limitations, you don't need to look at that as I'm incapable of serving God, or if only, you know, I think a lot of times we, we think about it that way. We have, um, maybe make too much of, if only this was different, if only that was different, then I could serve God, then I could do things differently or things better. I don't think that's appropriate. I think what God does is gives us what He knows that we need to glorify Him the most. And if you think about it, it is in our weakness that we are able to glorify Him the most. Paul recognized this. So, you know, sometimes if you haven't done it, you know, go through and read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, but a key part there is the few verses in, say, verse 7 to 10, where he says, you know, he had seen God. He had met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he had uh, obtained this a training and in this ministry from God. So he says in verse 7 that so lest he should be exalted above measure. So lest lest he be prideful, have this tendency to be uh, proud because of the special place that God had given him. He was given, in addition to his special ministry, a thorn in the flesh. It was given to him. And it kept him humble. It kept him from being exalted. So he said he pleaded with God in verse 8 three times that it would depart from him. I I certainly can relate to that. I don't know about you, but if you have any physical ailments or issues, you'll find a time when you, you may say, God, just take this away. I think that's common. A lot of people have that. All of us are going to have frailties physically, mentally, emotionally at some point in time. And I, it's perfectly appropriate to ask God to take those away. But I I think it's really interesting here that he said three times he asked, and then apparently he stopped. <laughs> and I think sometimes we don't stop. We are continually begging God to take away something that clearly God has given us and he's not going to take away. So at some point in time, we need to accept it. I think that's what Paul did. He accepted it and he shows how and why he accepted it. Because verse 9, he said that God told him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So he says, you want health, I'm giving you my grace. You want health, I'm giving you my strength in the middle of your weakness. The question for us then to ask is, is God's grace sufficient for me in my weakness? And I kind of think that it will be. I don't know that there's anyone who has ever completely trusted in God and and relied upon Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and said, God, I will follow you to the ends. I'll accept what you give me. And I don't think any person who does that will reach the end of their life, stand before God, and say, well, God, uh, I'm just not happy with what you gave me. <laughs> I think we'll, we will say, it's enough. God's grace is sufficient. So Paul says, not only was that enough, he said, I will boast in my infirmities. He'll take pleasure, he says in verse 10, in infirmities, reproaches, needs, persecutions, all these things for Christ's sake. For when I am strength, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. He recognized that in his weakness, God was made great. He recognized that in those places where he couldn't do it in his own strength, he had to completely rely upon the strength of God and Christ working through him. And then God really shines. Uh, and that is the place that we'd all like to be, a place where God really shines 
in us and through us. So it's interesting because what has happened here in Paul's life, and I think this is what God intends for all of our life, is that weakness becomes this perfect vehicle to display God's strength. It's like the perfect frame for that picture that you love. You know, you can take a picture and you can hang it on the wall without a frame. You go, yeah, that's nice. But when you add the perfect frame to it, it, it elevates the picture. It makes it more appealing, easier to look at. Weakness is that frame for God's strength. When we are strong, I think we're too often tempted to rely on our own abilities, on our own strength, on our own um, abilities to succeed based on our education or uh, the gifts that we have or our resources. And when we do that, then we look at what's accomplished and there's a little bit of pride there. Like, look what I did. Isn't that cool? And when we do that, we take a little of God's glory. So God's glory doesn't shine as well, as bright, when we try to steal some of it because we insert some of our strength in there. We turn away from God when we're strong enough to try to rely on our own abilities, when we boast about what we've accomplished. It is in our weakness that we see God at work everywhere, and we understand that God is not just at work everywhere and accomplishing His purpose. He's keeping me upright in the world. He's working in me to change me and to change my heart, to prepare me for eternity, but He's also working through me. And the way I've often thought about it is to be like a mirror. You know, a mirror reflects. It doesn't have any light of its own, but if you have a small light and a big mirror, it really helps light up the room. Well, what I'm supposed to be is a mirror that reflects the glory of God. What happens, and the way I've often taught it in ministry in Japan, is take a mirror and you can smear mud on it. And if you put a, enough mud on a mirror, it's just a a muddy <laughs> place. It doesn't reflect anything. It looks terrible, reflects no light, serves no purpose anymore. As you begin to clean it off, you get where at some point in time that it's still dirty, but it's beginning to reflect some light. And often I think that's what we are as, as immature believers, as Christians who are following Jesus, but we're not really fully committed. Definitely, there's a mirror in there, and it, the mirror is capable of perfectly, 100% reflecting the glory of God. However, maybe it's because of sin. Uh, maybe it's because of our pride as we try to do it in our own strengths. Hey, look at me reflect God's glory. Well, that applies a layer of mud over our mirror. and makes it a little harder for us really to clearly reflect the glory of God. In our weakness, that mirror is cleaned off. We recognize, man, I've got to get every smudge of dirt off this mirror because I've got no light of my own. Sometimes it's like we think we're a, a flashlight and we have light that we're shining into the darkness. No, we're a mirror. We can only reflect God's light. So we have to keep that surface clean. We have to keep our heart clean. God chooses not the mighty, but the weak. And you see that throughout the Bible. I know one of the, the stories that I think is just, uh, is just awesome and really encouraging is the story of Gideon and how God chose Gideon. There's the whole story of God choosing Gideon, how you know he's not that important, he's from a small tribe and all these things. But then you get down where he chooses the men to go up against 
uh, Jericho. And it starts with thousands. I can't remember if it's like 24,000 or something like that. And he asks, you know, if you're afraid, you're home. It gets down to like 10,000 men that are not afraid. Oh, that's pretty impressive, really. It's 10,000 men that are not afraid. It's like, well, that, and they're still way smaller than the opposing army. But God said, no, you know, that's, that's too much. With that many men, Israel would be tempted to boast and say, look what we did. So it gets down to where, in the end, it's only 300 men. And you look at the 300 men and you go, okay, that's just crazy. Uh, there's no way these 300 men are going to be able to fight and win this against, you know, tens of thousands of the enemy. And that's, humanly speaking, we're already going, 300 men is crazy. This is not going to work. But God says, and don't give them any weapons. <laughs> can, can you imagine these men? Because already they've gone through the test, right? God says, are you afraid? Go home. They go, I'm not afraid. I'm willing to go into battle. Go, oh, there's only 10,000 of us. We're going to win this. We're not afraid. Okay. Then he sends all but 300 home and the 300 have to go, okay. <laughs> these are probably still, you'd think these guys were not afraid. Maybe there's a little fear there now. There's only 300 of us. What is God thinking? And then God, well, no, don't take your spear. No weapons. Here, here's a, here's a lamp <laughs> and a pot <laughs> and a trumpet. No weapons. Now, how do you feel? <laughs> that had to instill a little bit of uh, doubt into their mind. Unless, unless they had absolute confidence in God. And apparently, Gideon did. Gideon had been, uh, had been proven to him that God chose him and that God was going to do it. So, God doesn't choose the mighty. He chooses the weak. And when they show their absolute dependence on him by attempting the impossible as he leads him forward, then God gets all the glory. When you look at Gideon and his men and the victory that was won, you don't go, wow, those guys were tough. They were amazing, skilled. You go, God is awesome. <laughs> God is amazing. God does things that are miracles. Wow. God. <laughs> All the glory is his. You know, the story is told of a, a reporter who went to one of D.L. Moody's meetings in England. And as he was going to this meeting and he was listening to Moody preach, he, he'd listen. He said, you know, there's really nothing special about Moody. I mean, he's, he doesn't have this deep, booming voice. I mean, he's just, he doesn't have a commanding presence. He's just not, nothing special. He said, I, I can't see anything that accounts for this amazing, marvelous work that is the result of Moody's preaching. So somebody then later showed that article to Moody. And his reply was, and he kind of laughed a little bit, said, well, that's the very secret of the movement. There is nothing in it that can explain it but the power of God. The work is God's, not mine. And I think that's the goal for each one of us. I want to get to the point where I'm going forward in life and I'm willing to attempt what seems, humanly speaking, impossible. I don't have the gifting to do this, but God has called me. And if God calls me, I want to go forward in confidence because if God really has called me, then it will succeed. There is no time where God's work done God's way fails. He, he doesn't fail. He will accomplish what he's promised. He is accomplishing 
what he's promised, and he wants us to be part of that. And the only way, really, for us to be part of what God's doing is to recognize that it is in our weakness, not in our strength. We can look at the world around us and say, well, the voice of the world is too loud. They'll never hear us. God doesn't tend to yell a lot. God tends to speak in that still, small voice. And sometimes I think the voice of the church is too loud and we're trumpeting our own message. And that one won't work. (laughs) The message of the church, when it's about us, will not work. If you want people to come to be part of your church family because you have awesome music, because your your preacher is spectacular, and uh, all, all of these peripheral things, you have a new building, and you have the best children's uh, program in the, the state, and your, your nursery is awesome, and you can have all these things. If that's what you're trumpeting, your voice is too loud. You're trumpeting in your strength, and God's whispering in His strength, and His whisper can't be heard when we are going forward in our strength. His whisper goes forward in our weakness. When we trumpet, not what we have done, not what we can do, but we trumpet who God is and what He is doing. So we can ask that question we started with again. So how strong are you? (laughs) And when considered in light of God's work in and through us, well, that's really the wrong question, isn't it? The real question is, how strong is God? With that question fully answered, and we're fully convinced in our own heart and mind, there really is nothing that we need to fear when we follow in Jesus' footsteps. You know, a lot of times we look at what God calls us to do. We look at the footsteps of Jesus going out in front of us and we go, well, that seems kind of scary. And it can be. But there's nothing to fear when we follow in the footsteps of Jesus because it is Him leading the way in his strength, and we follow behind in our weakness, but the the path has been cleared. The guarantee has been that he will win the victory. Not that we will win the victory, that he will win the victory, that he will be glorified. It may cost us our life, but it will result in his glory. Because when we are at our weakness, he is able to reveal his strength in its fullest. I think that's important. When we are at our weakest, he is able to reveal his strength in its fullest. So the goal for all of us should should be to pursue God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to really learn to trust in his strength day in and day out for big things, for little things, for personal things, for private things, for public things, for the church, for the home, for our family, for our friends, in all that we do and all that we say and all that we think, trust him to keep you do- going until the day he calls you home. He has promised to be with you. He has promised to protect you. He has promised to present you justified, sanctified in that last day when you stand before him. So keep running in his strength. Thanks for joining us today. If you have a question we can address on the show or just want to send us a word of encouragement, send an email to talk at runwithhorses.net. That's T-A-L-K at runwithhorses.net. We look forward to hearing from you. In the meantime, keep running.